What's this place? What are we walking around here? We um, just walked past uh, the Ngāti Whātou Oaraki's uh, Kainga Tuatahi, which yeah. is by Stephen's Lawson Architects. And it's a 30-unit housing scheme on Ngāti Whātou land. We're in Oraki, kind of on the top of the hill here with the most incredible views of yeah. Auckland and the harbour. Yeah. So this is, this is an area where there's a lot of Māori housing development going on. Yes, and there's a lot of history too. If it goes back to the 1970s, the Bastion Point protests. So, yes, it's amazing land, and we're walking up to see the Ngāti Whātua. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and I'm in Ōrake with Auckland University Professor of Architecture, Anthony Hoete. We're here to talk about Māori housing. The budget also invests $380 million in Māori housing through the initiative Whai Kāinga, Whai Ōrake. Māori social housing providers have been crying out for it. Māori are less likely to own their own home. Māori have the highest rates of homelessness. We are at the high end of all the very relevant areas of housing. The announcement is going to work for a lot of working Māori, but they're not going to work for the population that I serve up here in the north. Today I'll talk to Jade Kake about what the funding means for her as an architectural designer and the dream of living on her own land. I'm really just eager to see more of this happen and, and less, less of these things being uh, long-held dreams and more of them being you know, built realities and, and well-designed environments on, on our land. But right now I'm back at Ōrake with Anthony Hoete. And that development, yep. you're saying that that is the future of... Housing, Māori yes. housing yeah, or housing in general? Few, uh, housing in general, why? Because it's terrace housing, New Zealand say town housing, where you can park out front and that's two storeys, so you get much greater density. So you don't have side, side gardens, you, just have, you have a front and a back and a, mm. and a row of housing and therefore you can get much more housing units in a section than you would ordinarily achieve. Yeah. And that means you can bring the relative cost of housing down because you're getting more units in the same piece of property. This is Papakainga housing? Yes, this is Papakainga. Because? It's on Māori land. Yeah. And because it's on Māori land, that means the borrowing of finance to make the construction happen is quite different because Māori land means you've got a collective um, ownership of shareholders. Um, Much more difficult when you go to the bank to try and get a mortgage when you've got multiple parties, mm. and so that would probably be um, administered by Ngāti Whātua Ōraki in terms of raising their finance. The finance for the individual people to own these houses, yes, is that well, what we, you mean? Yes, first of all the finance to build them, yeah. the development finance, and then the secondly, the opportunity that once somebody wants to buy a house, they, they can buy it back from um, Ngāti Whātua. Apart from the fact that it is Papakainga housing, what makes it... Māori, do you think? I mean, is the architecture itself? It's Māori because there are Māori occupants in sure. it. Sure. Uh, I would say, yes, it has some... Um, if you read the architect's statement, they'll allude to, of course, Māori motifs, and the roof is a big cloak and, and under which I think one, two, three, three houses are under this particular block. But I think it's more than that. It's not the figurative um, elements which make it uh, Māori housing. It's literally because the owners inside them are Māori, and that talks to the issue of... Uh, waiting lists and ownership and all that. Having said that, but because it's kind of communal, 
you know, we've got a, a kind of private road um, in this particular configuration, mm. uh, communal and therefore far more oh. social. And I think for Māori too, you know, often it's, it's less the architecture of the house and more the sense of place, uh, yeah. the landscape, which makes it. And I think therefore the relationships to your neighbours are as important as the house itself. That's what gives you your sense of being and belonging to somewhere. Yeah, let's, let's go. go let's go. <laughs> we'll go and uh, and uh, follow the, the yeah. crack cope up and introduce That's ourselves right. and see if we can learn a little bit more. Fine, Maya. We're knocking on the door of Fai Maya, the charitable trust responsible for the social and cultural development of Ngati Fatua people. It's part of the Marae complex at Bastion Point, the hub of the community. There's a kura next door, and many who work here live in the surrounding housing. Dozens of the properties here on Hapu land are maintained and managed by the Ngāti Whātua Trust. And by coincidence, we've come across a group of architectural students, teachers and iwi leaders at a hui about housing. I just feel it's really a good time to, to, to explore this question a bit of papakainga, uh, sort of the three-storey, five, six, seven, eight storeys. That's right, 10 stories of housing. They're calling it vertical papakainga, high-rise homes built on ancestral Māori land. Right. Uh, and of course it's incredibly challenging around our parking here and our local corner. How does that all interact and how do we connect to the land? So hopefully today you'll see some really uh, exciting solutions. So that is a first-year master's crit. Crit is a kind of space in architecture school where students pin up their designs. Their assignment was to design multi-level yeah, papakainga yeah, housing. Vertical, vertical papakainga. And that's very interesting too because you know a lot of the stats say that majority of Māori would be living. Like when I looked at the stock take of how Māori are living and that's quite important because there's no use designing uh, unless you know what's happening in the lay of the land today. So most, most Māori are living, in fact 84%, living in a single separate house. Okay, standalone so, house. Yep, so the 285,000 Māori houses, which we categorise as being Māori, either Māori yeah. occupants, a vast majority, 84% of them, are single houses, such as you would have seen just over there. Yeah. But that's not sustainable mm. because of land consumption. So you imagine all that it leads to is mass suburbia, drain on infrastructure, drain on highways and also they're more expensive because you have to do exterior skins for them all so vertical papakainga so looking at ways of housing but not as suburban models but as in high rise Right. and that's what they were doing they were speculating on high rise vertical papakainga for Kaikaui I believe so this focus on Māori housing with that group is that because there is so much money going into this area at the moment well, or is it just kind of almost coincidental? Well, is the budget good for Māori housing? I'd say yes. Willie Jackson says the government's responded to the calls of iwi leaders for a desperately needed cash injection into Māori health and housing. 50% of the waiting lists are Māori. For housing? For housing, right. Apanui Kōpū from Te Whanua Apanui has spent the last four years trying to find a place to live in Tauranga. When the flat he lived in was sold, he applied for numerous others, but was turned down. My daughter and I then moved in with my parents in a room in Tauranga. We slept in the living room as the house was full. We stayed there for just over a year. The room was full of black mould and we were all getting sick as a result. 
This whole experience has been bad for us, especially our daughter. She has developed severe anxiety problems while we were homeless. And so if you ask me, what is Māori housing? It's first and foremost getting Māori into housing before you even get into the, the tikanga or the kaupapa around housing. It's literally putting people in housing. Mr Kōpū and his daughter are not alone. They're just two of the over 22,000 New Zealanders on the social housing wait list. So why, why is it in the studio? Because there's a need. And of course, it's interesting because the budget has shifted. They said there will be a 1,000 new homes planned. Another 700 will be modifications to existing housing stock. So the budget sort of recognises a societal issue which needs to be challenged. Now, just to recap on what's in the budget for Māori housing. $380 million to build about 1,000 houses over three years, including a mix of papakainga and larger-scale developments. The money also goes to repair a further 700 houses. And this... To support the building of new homes, we have ring-fenced $350 million of the Housing Acceleration Fund to provide infrastructure to support this programme. Budget 2021 also provides Kainga Order with substantial resources to acquire land and over $133 million to carry out its urban development functions and it funds the increased support within First Home Products announced in March. So let's look a bit closer at why it's so difficult for Māori to get into their own homes and where this money, a total of $730 million, will go. My name is Jay Kake. I'm from Ngāpohe Te Arawa uh, and I have a background in architecture and also Māori housing policy and advocacy and I run a Kaupapa Māori architect studio in Whangarei called Matapohe. And what does that mean, a Kaupapa Māori architecture studio? I suppose it's in our approach, the way that the majority of the clients that we work with are um, whānau, hapu or iwi Māori, the fact that uh, all of our team are Māori, but also, um, I guess, the way that we approach the design process that really centres our, our Māori communities, tikanga Māori, mātauranga Māori, that's all at the centre. The design process, what makes that Māori? I've spent quite a bit of time thinking about this because, you know, architecture is quite a heavily regulated profession. We have set design stages and we don't do anything differently in terms of trying to, you know, restructure the whole process. But some of the things that operate quite differently is the kind of um, co-design methods that we use. So we'll do things like wānanga, um, where we'll work with large numbers of people to understand their um, history and aspirations and how that feeds into design. We also work really closely with Kaumatua um, to understand how tikanga Māori will affect the layout of spaces. And we often do things like hikoi, where we'll walk over the whenua and we'll hear those pūraka or stories. And that will also be complemented by archival research and evidence and mapping. So the budget, $380 million <laughs> has been allocated to Māori housing and another $350 million for infrastructure and, and services. What is Māori housing? How would you define that? Yeah, I think simply it is housing for Māori and particularly led by Māori. And that can be at a variety of scales. So that can be whānau, hapu, iwi. It can also be kaupapa Māori organisations. And papakainga housing, will it take a large chunk of the funding? That remains to be seen. Um, so for context, whenua Māori is about 5.2% of the overall 
land base. It's it's not a huge amount and land return through treaty settlement and right of first refusal and you know other mechanisms, it's seldom returned to Fino Māori or very rarely because there's so many um, barriers to its development. And um, why I mention that is because Papakainga generally denotes that there is a, an ancestral link and that the people occupying that whenua have a kinship connection. Mm. So it doesn't exclusively have to mean whenua Māori under its Te Re Whenua Māori Act 1993, um, but in practice that's usually what it ends up meaning. And in the last the last financial year, there were 41 homes built on whenua Māori this new fund is going to build, you know, 300 to 350 a year. They've said 1,000 over three years. That's a huge increase. So I, I couldn't really say what the split might be between, um, say, developments led by iwi or Māori organisations on general title land uh, versus papakainga housing on whenua Māori. It's hard to say whether they'll have a, a greater or lesser percent. Mr Speaker, we know that Māori are far less likely to own their own homes. In 2018, the Māori home ownership rate, including family trusts, was 31%, whereas for the total population, the rate was 52%. We have a responsibility to address this inequity, and today's announcement makes an important start. So what does this mean for you, Jade? Because, you know, you're in Whangarei, you're basically focused on kaupapa Māori architecture. This must be a big deal for you. I've only just started thinking about what it might mean for me or for our practice, but the first thing I thought of is what it will mean for my whānau and also for our clients. Um, So we work with a lot of Māori clients across the north who have aspirations, long-held aspirations for Hapa Kāinga, looking to develop housing for their whānau, Hapu Iwi. And so I'm really just eager to see more of this happen and and less less of these things being uh, long-held dreams and more of them being, you know, built realities and and well-designed environments on our land. Papakainga housing, is that a dream for a lot of people? Yeah, it really is. Um, I know for my own whanau, um, we've been, gosh, what year are we in now? <laughs> it's been a, a long journey um, and I think I might have been in my first or second year of architecture school, maybe 2006 or, or seven, when we started having serious conversations about Papakainga and started holding hoi. I know my grandfather was still alive at that point. And it took us about 10 years just for, for one of our projects uh, just to form a trust so that we could have a, an organisation to develop and, and to receive funding and, you know, those kind of things. So um, there's lots of structural barriers and it's quite a long journey. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to the future where I'm living on my papakainga, on my whenua, instead of just talking about it or drawing it or <laughs> whatever that might be. When you say structural barriers, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so historically, uh, Māori land legislation has created some problems. So historically, we had the 10 owner rule when native title system was first put in place. So it took the land out of hapu ownership and sought to place it into individual ownership. And then uh, over the years, we've seen fragmentation. So it's only relatively recently that you could put the land in a whanau or a family trust, which meant that you had to either split up your shares or give them all to, say, one sibling in that block so that they would stay together. But it meant that their siblings and their lines were, were now excluded from that block, for example. There are also situations where, um, say... The non-Māori uh, in-law could inherit the land and pass it on possibly to their non-Māori other kids. Or, you know, there was lots of things like that. 
also because of this fragmentation it can be quite difficult to engage with owners can be quite difficult to locate owners really hard to make decisions at times uh, especially if nobody's living on that land anymore a lot of land the way it was subdivided has become landlocked so it has no legal access which is really challenging a lot of land is too small to be economic um, you know or, or to be developed under the district plan rules uh, for a lot of blocks or uh, sorry a lot of districts they don't have proper kind of provisions in their district plan which means that uh, the underlining zone or environment rules apply which for a lot of Māori land that can mean that um, it's owned you know rural or countryside which might be one house per 10 hectares or one house plus a you know share milker or something like that which is a real barrier if you want papa kainga um, and in a lot of places they're really poorly serviced by infrastructure because a lot of the remaining land is the most marginal um, and also might be located in quite remote places that are not well serviced by infrastructure and then also you have to build the home on piles so it could be physically removed in the event of a default as if the difficult rules around building the house isn't enough, getting the finance is also a big barrier. There's a specific Māori housing lending product, Kainga Whenua, underwritten by Kainga Order. But only Kiwi Bank offers it, and Jade Kake says uptake is low because of things like tight borrowing limits and poor understanding of the product by lending staff. And throwing money at it won't fix all the problems. But the fact that this current government has invested so much money and it's the, it is the amount that Māori housing advocates and the Māori housing sector have asked for, if, if you look on a, I guess, a quantum basis, it is comparable um, to the percent of the Māori population versus the percent of the Māori housing spend, you know, relative to the overall housing spend, which is, you know, extremely positive. Mm. But to me, those signals mean that this government is actually serious about addressing this problem and that they're listening. So I don't know that the money will address the structural barriers, but we've already seen some changes, like with Minister Mahuta brought in some important reforms around the rating of whenua Māori. And um, I look forward to the government uh, really seriously addressing this issue of kainga whenua and Māori housing finance. It's taken your whanau 10 years so far. Have you actually started building yet? <laughs> it's taken us probably um, 14 years or so, so far. And we're not building yet. But to be fair, we only started on the design process and, you know, actually having a funded project that we were pursuing, um, I think, 2018. And at the moment, we're just discussing with the funder the next phase of the project. So uh, in the next phase, we'll be progressing the project hopefully through to um, procurement and um, identifying the general contractor. So we, we're hoping to get to the build kind of, oh, I don't want to put a number on it, but I'm hoping that it'll be late next year or, or the year after. So for final level projects, you really need to get consensus, get everyone on board, make sure that your organisation has the capacity. So often you're starting from no organisation to having to set up a bank account and have policies and good meeting processes and make sure your trustees understand what is happening and can make good decisions. And then, of course, not leaving the whānau behind and bringing everyone along with you, um, as well as going through the technical process and any you know, resource consent challenges or you know, issues that might arise as well as making sure that you're, um, you know, working well with the funder and, you know, meeting their requirements. And, and sometimes those, those funds can be oversubscribed and you have to wait. And, you know, it's, it's a process. Mm, sounds like it. So, you know, so a papa kaying a house, it's not just about having a roof over your head. It feels like it's much more than that. You know, after being up at Oraki and walking around that area, it's an entire community and, and the people 
of the iwi not only live in in housing there, but a lot of them work there as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a beautiful example. And because you've seen it and experienced it, I think, you you know, you do understand that it is more than just about housing. And I, I think you can understand why it is such a, a deeply held aspiration for so many. For many of us, we haven't lived in our kainga for a long time or haven't lived without our whanau in that way for a long time. And you can just see um, the opportunities that occur when you're in close proximity like that. So the fact that your kids will all know each other and can play together, the fact that your kids will all know their grandparents. So those opportunities for intergenerational learning and, and relationships are really important. Um, there's things you can do like better better distribute and share kai, um, better distribute knowledge. You can foster the language better. So, you know, a lot of fun and a lot of papakaing will be on their real Māori journey, and these are spaces that can foster that. Um, your paipai or your taumata will never be cold when you have a papakainga there. So a lot of marae really struggle with having those core roles fulfilled um, in terms of your kai or in terms of your um, kai karanga. And it's a real struggle when there's nobody living close by. And also just knowing the stories of your tupuna, knowing the stories of your land. You just see the groundedness of those who have grown up close to their whanau, immersed in their culture, on their whenua. And so I just want that to be available to all Māori, all Māori who wish to live that way. Can I ask you about the money that has come from the budget? I mean, $380 million for housing. It seems like a lot of money, but when you think about how much it costs to build one house... That's right. What, what do you think? So, well, if you take, for example, um, $350 million and you divide it by 1000 you probably get about sort of quasi uh, 300000 per house. So... Um, and of that, the other thing to, to note that it's 1,000 houses. Well, um, as I mentioned before, there are 285,000 Māori households today. So it's sort of one 285th. So, but nonetheless, it, it's, it's recognition and it's a start. Mm. And I think that's what's, what's, what's good about it. I, I mean, nobody's expected it to be a wholesale change. But, you know, it's getting closer, it's getting better. So that's yeah. why I think there's overall satisfaction that there are some sort of recognition as towards budgetary allocation towards... Yeah. That's all for today. Thanks to Jade Kake and Anthony Huete. Bless Stagpole engineered this episode and Alexia Russell produced it. The detail is the newsroom production for RNZ made possible by NZ On Air. We're on all the usual podcast platforms. Hit subscribe and get a new episode downloaded every weekday. If you're an Apple user, please give us a rating. It helps others find us. You can also listen on the RNZ newsroom or stuff websites. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Kakiti Ano.